Hey detective, welcome to the Nancy Drew Rendezvous, a podcast where we take a chronological look at all the books in the Nancy Drew Files series. I'm your host Teagues and today's episode is case 34, Vanishing Act. Hello detective, how are you going? It's so good to be back for another episode of the show. I don't have any news to share at the moment so I'm going to get straight into it. So this book is number 34 in the Nancy Drew Files series and it's called Vanishing Act. And as usual, we'll go through all the things that happened in April 1989 when this book was released. Now, this book is all about rock stars and pop stars in the music industry. So I think the most interesting fact that relates to this book that In 1989, the Massachusetts mayor announces that April the 24th would be New Kids on the Block Day. So I don't know if you remember this group, Detective, but they were huge in the 80s and they had that song Step by Step. I'm actually going to go listen to them after I finish recording this because I feel like a trip down memory lane. Uh, The World Wide Web was also launched to the public domain, which pretty much, in my opinion, means the birth of the internet. So happy birthday, internet. This episode comes out in April. So yeah, I guess it would be, oh gosh, don't make me do math, (laughs) like 30 years or something since the internet's come out. So woohoo. And in sadder news, the student protests begin at Tiananmen Square. Uh, These protests do turn ugly. Uh, And the reason that the students are protesting was they were demanding the freedom of the press and the end of corruption in China. Uh, Movies released in April 1989 include Pet Cemetery, Field of Dreams, Canine and Parent Trap 2. And also April 1989 was a banging month for number one hits, including Songs such as The Look by Roxette, Like a Prayer by Madonna, and She Drives Me Crazy by The Fine Young Cannibals, all hitting the number one spot on the Billboard charts. And let's get into our cover discussion. So like usual, there's the action scene in the back, an attractive male in the center, and Nancy Drew up front. This time she's wearing what I believe to be a knee-length denim skirt. I can't really see her knees are kind of like chopped off at the bottom of the page (laughs) and an orange tank top. It's kind of in a crop style. I would totally wear this outfit except my denim skirt would be black and a mini skirt, (laughs) but I'm not like I'm short. So I wouldn't really suit a knee length skirt type of thing. I kind of makes me feel frumpy. Uh, She's looking to the side. She seems to have a tan and she's wearing heavy eye makeup, which is unusual In the middle, it's some guy wearing black jeans who's holding a guitar. He's in the rock star pose and he's wearing a light pink shirt and it's open and you can see his chest. In the background, we've got Nancy Drew holding a guitar and she's about to smash a window. So I guess that's going to be some action scene in the book at some point, which we will come across. Now, I got super excited because this book starts in River Heights, but it doesn't end up in River Heights. They end up in LA. But so like at the start, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're in River Heights. Woo-hoo-hoo. But I should know better than that. There's been quite a few books where they start in River Heights and then Nancy gets a phone call and she has to fly to either another country or across the country to another state. But for the moment, we're at 
Bess's house and I don't think we've ever been to Bess's house, at least not having the girls hang out there. They're usually hanging out at Nancy's house. So this is quite the surprise. Bess is super, super excited because music video TV station TV Rock is hosting a Jessie Slater week. Bess is absolutely fangirling. She's utterly obsessed with this pop star. And boy, oh boy, Jessie Slater sure has a backstory. We get so much information about this guy in the first couple of pages, but I'll go into that in just a moment. So Bess has gotten George to set up the VCR to tape the special. I don't know if Bess knows how to set up the VCR to record things or not. It's interesting. In the Girl Detective series, they make Bess to be super handy. I don't know if she has these paralysis in this series. She seems to be more of a panicker and helpless and can't really do anything herself except for being the best sidekick Nancy has ever had. George reassures her that it's set up correctly and makes a comment that she'll never get to meet Jesse in real life because he mysteriously vanished three years ago. Nancy reminisces about the disappearance and how Jesse was well on the way to becoming the biggest rock star in the country. At 19 years old, he had two albums on which he did everything himself, including writing the lyrics, playing the instruments, signing and producing the record which ended up having record sales and he even won two Grammys. Oh, and of course he was hot with dark brown hair and coal black eyes. I'm trying to think of who would be the equivalent today or even back then. I can't think of anyone that does it all besides Prince, but he doesn't have the same alluring uh points about him like pop stars such as Justin Bieber do. So I, I don't know. What do you think, Detective? Who do you think today's equivalent would be? I googled missing rock stars and Richie Edwards from the Manic Street Preachers came up, but he went missing after this book was published, so I don't think the book could be based on him. Bess claims she doesn't just love him because he's talented and hot, because there was just something special about him that she felt she could really connect with him and other fans felt similar. I get that. I've definitely felt like that towards musicians over the years. Their lyrics just speak to you on some whole other level. Who's your favorite band or musician that you really connect with? I'd love to hear from you, detective. Jesse went missing during a beach concert. He was on stage, went backstage and never returned, which was totally wild. How can you disappear from a concert in front of an audience and numerous people backstage? Not only that, he said he'll be right back. So I guess he wasn't planning on disappearing. Despite disappearing, he's still as famous as ever. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he did this to get more money. So many people get famous and make more money after they die. If he disappears, he can just rake in the money and live an incognito life doing whatever he loves. Anyway, back to this Jesse Slater week on TV Rock, aka TVR, which I assume is a station like MTV or VH1, back in the day when they played music videos and live concert and showed music documentaries like Behind the music. I actually have never seen Behind the Music, but I listened to a podcast recently of an episode of The Simpsons where they did a parody of that show, and I would have loved uh, watching Behind the Music if it was on in Australia. It might be. Maybe I should watch it on YouTube or something. Bess gives everyone the lowdown on the week's schedule, which includes playing his songs and interviews with bandmates and people from his hometown. The specials will be hosted by a guy named Dan Kennedy, who is TVR's most popular VJ. 
The show has really hyped up to cater to their teen audience. It's giving me crazy flashbacks to the early 90s and watching Australia's version of these channels called Channel V. I have no idea what the V stands for, though. Maybe channel video? I I don't know, honestly. I love how Bess is also getting to be an overly enthusiastic teenage girl. She even brushes her hair to make sure that she looks good while watching the TV show. And George, as always, playfully teases her. I think we give teenage girls too much grief these days. Just let people enjoy things, and if they get overly excitable, then allow them. Like, just everyone wants let everyone be happy. Yeah, that's what I want. Just everyone to be happy. Uh, This scene also kind of reminds me of the book False Moves, but instead of Nancy and Hannah watching ballet, it's Bess, Nancy and George watching a rock concert. Jesse Slade week kicks off with the never seen before footage of Jesse Slater's last show. Yes, the one he went missing from. Originally, they thought they had lost the tape to fire, but lo and behold, someone found it. The fact that the tape originally was thought to be lost is kind of suspicious though. They all watch the show. It's set close to a cliff on a beach besides the Pacific Ocean in California. The last song Jesse played was called Goodbye Sweet Life. Kind of creepy, don't you think? Then he walks off stage never to be seen again. The girls have no interest in watching his band play. Bess goes and gets some diet soda, not regular cider, diet soda. Mind you, I only drink diet soda as well and I'm not trying to watch my weight. (laughs) So I kind of, you know, maybe she's not doing it to, you know, lose weight, but this is Bess we're talking about. So it would definitely because it's got less calories. While waiting for Bess to return with the diet sodas, Nancy notices something flickering on the screen, something dark and shadowy being hurled off the cliff. Oh man, this is the late 80s. The picture quality would have been so bad. There was no such thing as HDTV back then and they would have had one of those old CTR TVs. I remember when I was little, I used to like go super close to the screen and because the glass was curved, you would see all these rainbow colors. Did anyone else do that or just me? It was probably just me. Also, those TVs were heavy. Anyway, once the show finishes, they rewind the tape to where Nancy believes she saw something falling off a cliff. It's hard to tell because it's super blurry and they wonder why no one at TVR had noticed, probably because they were paying too much attention to the concert. Bess wonders if it could be Jesse, but George tells her that if it was, someone would have found his body and Nancy agrees. She says that something like that couldn't be hidden. Bess insists that Nancy investigates and Nancy laughs it off saying TVR wouldn't even take her seriously or even listen to her. Bess says, leave it to me and suddenly the girls find themselves in Los Angeles. This is the second book to take place in Los Angeles, by the way. The first being Case 26, playing with fire where Nancy investigated why Napoleon artifacts and memorabilia kept going missing. Dan Kennedy, the VJ, has flown them out and put them up at the expense of TVR. He thinks everything is too much of a coincidence and wants Nancy to investigate. Bess has told Dan about Nancy's work in finding rock star Barton Novak, who went missing in case two, Deadly Intent. Oh, it's my first episode. I really should release Secrets Can Kill one of these days. I still have the audio, but it's just so bad. Maybe it could be a bonus episode. I don't know. Deadly Intent was a really good case. I think the first three books of the Files series were a great introduction to the series and really set out what you can expect in this new spin-off. 
So they have a hire car and it has a car phone and a super duper fancy stereo. Remember car phones? Remember those huge chunky things that hit in the center armrest? Gosh, what a blast from the past. We had one. I don't think it was ever used though because making phone calls costs so much money. I think my stepdad uh, just had it to flex. It's like, oh, look at me. I've got a car phone. (laughs) They even pay homage to the LA traffic in this book. What's the bet that Nancy is going to end up following a car or being followed and the LA traffic messes things up for her? I think that might be a little bit of foreshadowing. We'll see. Bess is upset that she's put on five pounds. She thinks rock stars won't be interested in her. Darling Bess, if a man cares about a couple of pounds, then he's not a good guy. Be kinder to yourself and enjoy the glitz of glamour of Los Angeles. I absolutely love how they describe the TV rock office. It's so 90s and over the top. If you remember MTV's branding back in the early 90s, it had a lot of bright colors and bold graphics. And this office is very similar to that type of MTV type of feel with bright pink walls and fake palm trees in the reception area. Nancy's told that she has to visit Winslow Thomas, the head of TV Rock, and Nancy is quite surprised to find that he's a very professional looking person. He has newly cut hair and a huge gingery beard. He also speaks with a southern accent, but Nancy notices that his voice sounds very, I don't know, proper and forced, so that's a bit interesting. Winslow looks like he should be working at a bank and not the head of a music television station and he's not very impressed that Dan went behind his back to get Nancy onto the case. He's worried that it's going to ruin the reputation of the channel and all that other stuff. Winslow, by the way. What type of name is Winslow? Honestly, it sounds like a very posh British name. Oh, and not only is Winslow worried about the reputation of the TV station being ruined, but he feels that it will make them look stupid trying to open up the case based on such little evidence and the fact that the police have already closed the tape. Uh, case rather. Winslow also tells Nancy that the police think that he had a good reason for dropping out of sight and that there are rumors going around that Jesse isn't the perfect man that all his fans think that he So this is quite intriguing. I wonder what the true story is here. If he turns out to, if it turns out to be true, he's going to disappoint so many of his fans, especially Bess. But this is a Nancy Drew book and I'm sure there's going to be a happy ending and that everything will go back to normal. Nancy is told that she needs to go undercover and is given a job as a guest VJ on TV Rock. Oh, wow. Nancy always gets the best undercover jobs. Bess would be so jealous. I bet she would be wanting to host the TV show. Maybe they should have given the undercover role to Bess. We know that she's quite capable of doing the hard work and she would have rocked that role as she's a lot more bubbly and more suited to be on TV rather than Nancy. Next, Nancy goes to see Dan, who is described as having curly blonde hair and laughing blue eyes whatever laughing blue eyes is meant to mean. (laughs) He's also wearing a bent Fender t-shirt, which was Barton Novak's band in Deadly Intent. That's a really, really cute little throwback. He had heard that Nancy had solved that case. So yeah, he just wanted to wear it to, I don't know, kind of connect. I think that's adorable. Nancy asks if she can meet a couple of people that are associated with Jesse, such as his manager. And then Dan tells her that he thinks Tommy Rhodes, Jesse's manager, murdered Jesse and then disappeared himself because Tommy had also not been seen since that night. 
All right, this is a bit weird. I think if it was on the news, they would have mentioned that his manager also went missing. This raises red flags immediately. What's with the LA Police Department? I guess they're really busy, but wow. I wonder if the cops ever looked into the fact that the manager went missing as well. We learn a bit more about Tommy. Dan's theory comes from the fact that when he interviewed Jesse, he said Tommy's done nothing to help me, but in fact done the opposite and then got angry and told Dan to forget that he said anything. All right, that's really sus. So it turns out the manager's disappearance did get news coverage, but because Jesse was so famous, it was overlooked. I'll tell you what, fans these days wouldn't overlook it. They'll be on the internet scouring the tape themselves and coming up with countless theories. The disappearance would also be on every single true crime podcast until it was solved. (laughs) Tommy's described as being British with a shaved head and tattoos of lizards on each cheek. He wore a cape and always complained about how bad the US music scene was compared to the British scene. Okay. That weird forced voice Nancy mentioned and a name like Winslow. I have a theory that Winslow might actually be Tommy in disguise. He's got a beard, so it'd be easy to hide the face tattoos depending where on the cheek they were. Um, And it goes with my theory earlier, disappear on purpose, reaping the money, except it's Tommy reaping in the money instead of Jesse. Maybe he really was pushed off a cliff. Maybe the voice sounds forced because he's trying to hide the British accent. I'm always wrong with my predictions, as you know, detective, but we'll see how we go with this one. Dan also gives Nancy the number of the person who filmed the last concert, Carrie Levine. Carrie's office is in Hollywood Boulevard, which is such a tourist trap. I stayed at a hostel there once and it was crazy, that's for sure. They head to the office and detour via Melrose Avenue and Bess is in awe of all the shops and eyes off a peach-coloured leather outfit. Look, don't be surprised if you see peach-coloured leather coming back in fashion. The 90s is making a huge comeback fashion-wise. I'm rocking my bucket hat with pride as we speak. (laughs) They arrive and Carrie is wearing a scarlet jumpsuit with matching ankle boots and a tongue of jangly silver bracelets. I can see this outfit so clearly in my head. Do Do you used to wear like heaps and heaps of jangly bracelets when you back in the early 90s I know that I did and you could always hear me coming from like a mile away because I'd just be like jangly jangly jangly. (laughs) Carrie tells the girls that Jesse was being rude to the crew that evening and that was unusual because usually he's really really nice to them so maybe something was on Jesse's mind. She can't really remember much about the day except they were worried about rain. But thankfully, the concert went well, except for, you know, the whole Jesse going missing thing and the storm hit afterwards. It was just as well if the storm hit during the concert, half the stage would have fallen down the cliff. Nancy finds this a weird coincidence, but if it did collapse and he was pushed, then it makes sense that a body wasn't found. People in the area know that the coast has erosion issues. That's very well planned if that's the case, just hoping a cliff collapses to hide a body. (laughs) Despite it being three years later, Nancy heads off to see the scene of the concert. Carrie comes with them. The beach is about an hour north of Hollywood. It's a beach with a rough surf and a huge cliff, the cliff where the stage was erected. Nancy gets Carrie to explain how everything was set up on the day and once she envisions it, she replays where she saw someone getting thrown off the cliff. And what do you know? Yes, there is a hanging with large boulders below. 
It's Wendy and Nancy goes to take a closer look. Bessie's freaking out, telling her to move. Nancy doesn't because she's trying to recreate the scene in her head. And then all of a sudden, the cliff begins to crumble and Nancy starts sliding down towards the boulders below. Near-death experience number one. Thankfully, some bushes break her fall and she's okay. She uses these bushes to climb back up the cliff and makes her way back to a tearful Bess and an anxious Carrie and George. From this incident, Nancy deducts that if she could fall so easily, anyone could, and maybe that's what she saw, someone just falling. The next day is Nancy's first day undercover. She's on time despite the traffic and she set Bess and George off on missions. Bess is to speak to Jesse's accountant to see if she can get access to his financials. <laughs> what? Imagine that. Just walking up and being, oh, hey, can I look at Jesse's finance records because I'm investigating his disappearance? The accountants who work at a firm called Lawrence Associates have probably heard it a thousand times before from diehard fans. George has been assigned library duties looking up old newspaper clippings. While getting the tour of the studio, all the people she's introduced to are really rude to her. Dan finds it weird and Nancy is worried that people know she's undercover but has no idea how they would have found out. Regardless, it's weird that everyone is acting like that towards her. Dan introduces Nancy to her boss for the week, Renee Stanley, who is another popular VJ at TVR. She's also not the most pleasant person. Renee is also rocking the I'm so cool, I work at a music television station look with zebra print tights and a low-cut sleeveless black t-shirt with loose-fitting leather belts riding down on her hips. Yep, I would definitely be wearing that outfit too. I think it's amazing. She's described as having blonde curly hair with such deep blue eyes, they are almost violet. And there's that violet eye reference again. I still don't get it. <laughs> um, Monica in Most Likely to Die also had violet eyes and so did Daryl from Secrets Can Kill. Renee also has super long eyelashes. She's a bit mean to like Nancy and just gets her to do clerical work for her all day. After finishing at TVR, Nancy meets up with George who found nothing at the library and Nancy says that she only managed to get one lead from working all day. Dan told her to meet up with Vint Wiley, Jesse's bass player and the person who knew him best. George and Nancy drive to North Claiborne, which isn't a real neighborhood. The neighborhood is described as being gorgeous with lush gardens and kind of tropical. Most houses were sort of Spanish style with red tiled roofs and stucco walls. Not Vince House, though. His was a legit mansion. There is no answer when they get to the door, but Nancy tells George he's expecting them and walks in only to find Vint face down in the pool. He's not dead, though. He was just meditating and fell asleep. Radio. They chat, and from Vint, we learn that Jesse was a private person. He didn't know Jesse's family or what his girlfriend's name was. He also looked really uncomfortable talking about it. When asked about Tommy, Vince said there was no way Jesse was going to fire him, so I wonder where Dan got that idea from. Jesse also, despite being a famous rock star, was also short of money. He gives them another lead, a man called Martin Rosney, who sells rock memorabilia, who has made a bunch of money from selling Jesse-related memorabilia, as far as he knows. Maybe this Martin guy knows how much memorabilia goes for when people die, so took Jesse out himself. Whoever the culprit is, I bet the motivation is money, because it's always money. Back at the hotel, Bess is excited to tell them that she got access to Jesse's financials. 
how, who knows, and theorizes that Tommy was embezzling money from him. There we go again, money issues. Vint did say he was always short of money. If Tommy was embezzling it, it makes sense that he was short of money. Bess breakdowns how she came up with the theory. Good old Bess. I want a spin-off where Nancy Drew moves away with Ned and then Bess becomes a detective and her and George solve mysteries. <laughs> oh, that, something like that would be amazing. Or maybe someone should write fan fiction about it. Bess is super duper proud of herself. She noticed that there were two PR companies that were getting paid. One of the companies was receiving huge amounts and Bess thought that was weird. So called the secretary of state to get the contact information of the company since it wasn't in the phone directory. They told her, yes, the company exists, but there was no phone number, just a PO box. And the company was incorporated by a man named Tommy Rhodes, not R-O-D. A-D-S, but R-H-O-D-E-S. So, okay, that's interesting. Bravo, Bess. Amazing work. Nancy is stoked to have a lead. Tommy was embezzling Jesse's money. Jesse finds out and then goes missing. They have Mexican for dinner. Californian Mexican is so good. Bess complains about feeling full and being fat. Shush, Bess. You're gorgeous the way you are. Stop comparing yourself to your friends. You get more men than them anyway, and that seems to be where you put your self-worth, worth rather. So just, just chill. The next morning, Nancy sleeps in because the hotel didn't wake her up. Turns out someone left a note on the desk asking to cancel it, which means someone knows Nancy is on the case. But who? So far, only Winslow, Carrie... Dan and Vint know. I'm betting it was Winslow. Nancy thinks that Renee did it because she doesn't like her. Again, Nancy, stop being so naive. Nancy has two tasks for the day. First of all, she needs to interview a comic to see if he's good enough to be on Nancy's show. He isn't. He's super rude, unfunny and dresses as Nancy puts it dumb. Then she sends Nancy downtown to a store called Kendall's to find some cool clothes to feature on the show. Nancy should have called Bess to come and get her to join in. Bess would have loved that. When Nancy returns, she is screamed at because she's meant to go on air in 15 minutes. <laughs> Nancy's like, ah, oh, you never told me about this. And Renee insisted that she did. But yeah, Nancy's absolutely freaking out. She's been tasked with interviewing rock star Carla Tarleton from heavy metal band Temple of Doom. That's such a like an a, like a typical metal band name. It's like if you had to think of a metal name off the top of your head, it'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, Temple of Doom. That sounds heavy metal-ish. <laughs> Despite being nervous, Nancy nails the interview and Carla enjoys Nancy's off-the-cuff questions about her boots rather than the usual what's it like being the only woman in the band yeah I don't blame Carla being bored of that question after the segment has finished she looks for Renee but Renee has left to go cover the concert that evening put on by the crisp at Featherstone Stadium uh there was a band called the crisp back in the early 90s they were an acid jazz band from Australia so they're unlikely the band in this book Renee has gone with none other than Vint, who we learn is her boyfriend. They've been together three years, ever since Jesse's disappearance. Oh, and to make things worse, Jesse and Renee were a couple before they went missing, or before he went missing, rather. Hmm, Vint is very, very rich by well, what we can tell from his mansion. Maybe he's in this scheme with Tommy, who I actually remember think is Winslow. 
Winslow calls Nancy into his office and fires her as a guest VJ because despite the interview with Carla, she wasn't prepared for it and that makes TVR look bad. He also not happy that she hasn't found any leads. I don't think it matters too much in all honesty. Nancy has leads and theories. I'm sure she'll just talk to them outside work or break into their houses or offices for clues. Despite this, Nancy begs for another 24 hours and Winslow agrees. He's just really worried if the results of the investigation are not good, it will ruin TVR's reputation. Bess and George didn't find anything important at the library where they spent their day looking at microfilm. (laughs) Their poor eyes. My eyes hurt just thinking about doing that all day. The next morning, Nancy goes to visit memorabilia seller Martin Rosany. Bess and George get to spend the day with Dan cruising around LA in his Lamborghini. So I'm glad that Bess and George get to do something fun. While driving, Nancy gets a phone call on the car phone. I should have known that they mentioned it for a reason from the receptionist at TV Rock, telling Nancy that she has an urgent package and must return to the office at once to open it. So she turns around and drives through LA traffic back to the studio only to discover the package has been taken. Nancy is super mad that her time has been wasted. She figured it was Renee trying to sabotage her once more or try and throw her off the case since Nancy now considers Renee a suspect. She finally makes it to Martin's house. However, the stereo starts making really loud noises that Nancy can't turn down. The noise disorientates her and causes her to lose control of the car and it crashes in to Martin's house. Okay, what on earth? That is the most creative warning and near-death experience I've ever seen in any of these books so far. I guess someone wanted Nancy to go back to the office so they could rig the stereo up or they interfered with the signal. I guess a TV station would know someone who knows something about broadcasting. Thankfully, the house is okay. Nancy's very weak and dizzy, but Martin is really sweet and accommodating. He's got a ton of stuff. Supposedly, he has a great supplier who was in contact with all of Jesse's fan clubs. Nancy is surprised that the Jesse memorabilia doesn't sell all that well. So if he's telling the truth, I guess it makes sense that he didn't make Jesse disappear because, you know, it doesn't really sell all for that much. Martin shares his theory, which is that Renee and Vint plotted together to get rid of Jesse. Neither seemed upset after he disappeared. Nancy finds nothing that would help her with the case, but takes a photo of Jesse standing in front of a car looking happy as a souvenir. Bess and George are on cloud nine after their day with Dan, which included celebrity spotting. Nancy shows them the photo of Jesse and George mentions, hey, that's just like Dan's car, but a different color. They know that Dan got his car last year, which means the car Jesse is standing in front of is the latest model. Okay, I guess these people are car experts now. (laughs) Like, I really wouldn't be able to tell one year's model from another year's model, but I guess some cars have super, super differences. I don't know. I don't really know too much about cars. Nancy figures that this means that Martin must know where Jesse is. She figures that the great supplier is probably Jesse. I feel she's reaching, but if he's got a current photo of Jesse, I guess it kind of makes sense. Where else would he be getting these photos from unless it was Jesse himself sending them? Or at least it's somebody else that knows that Jesse is still around. Nancy goes to confront Renee to see if it's true that Renee and Vint got rid of Jesse so that they could be together. 
Renee is watching a video of the previous night's Crisp concert. When confronted, she starts freaking out. Vint never told her that Nancy spoke to him. She says it's probably because she gets upset when the Jesse stuff is brought up. We learn that Jessie left her money in the will, but that doesn't mean that she killed him. Nancy never said anything about him being killed. Renee quickly covers her tracks and says, well, he's been gone for three years. Obviously, he's being killed. When confronted with the possibility that Jessie is still alive, Renee loses it and storms out. This is weird. This is all weird. I'm thinking Winslow still has something to do with it. Nancy's focusing too much attention on Renee and it's never the main suspects in this book, in these books. At the end of the concert tape, there's scenes from a party at Vince's house. It's quite the party with fairy lights, caviar and the pool area turned into a tropical paradise. Renee is looking super hot wearing a tight leather mini dress, a very, very rock and roll. And what else does Nancy see on the video? A white Lamborghini, just like the one Jesse was standing in front of. And Nancy can't see who the driver is, but she notices that the license plate has the same beginning numbers as the license plate in the photo of Jesse. She jots down the full license plate and then they get to Martin's house in record time. So much for that LA traffic. The party was last night and Nancy is sure Martin knows where Jesse is. Nancy confronts Martin about having such a recent photo and explains the Lamborghini is last year's model. Martin explains that sometimes he worries that his supplier gives him fake items, but he doesn't want to lose the supplier because he's counting on Jesse memorabilia getting huge one day. Nancy insists that he tell her who his supplier is so she can make sure it's not Jesse. He doesn't have any information except that it comes from Postbox 46 in tiny Los Gatos. Los Gatos is a real city, by the way, up near San Jose, but in this book, it's an hour out of LA. Martin brings back the last shipment he received and the girls go through all the photos looking for clues with no luck. But then they decide to drive to Los Gatos and we get the usual best complaining about not having lunch yet. Nancy promises to feed her on the way. I hope they get in and out while they're on the West Coast. I always make sure that I do. Los Gatos is a town of 182 and the lady at the post office happily gives them the name and address of the owner of Box 46 and Mr. Joplin. The girls head off to pay him a visit. They arrive and who else answers the door but Jesse Slade himself. Whoa. I'm surprised Bess isn't absolutely freaking out and it's 100% like starstruck right now, but she's acting very cool. Good on you, Bess. After explaining how they managed to find him and all about the tape, Jesse says that he was involved in the cliff incident, but he thought threw Tommy his manager off the cliff and not the other way around. He asks if Tommy is alive and the girls say that they don't know. He explains that he found out Tommy was embezzling money from him, confronted him telling him to return it or he'll never perform again. Tommy said, nope, he's taking the money and going back to the UK. Jesse got mad and punched or pushed him, which caused him to fall off the cliff. Jesse then followed him down the cliff but found nothing once there. He figured the waves must have taken him away. He was surprised that no one noticed what was going on and decided to escape to Mexico. Eventually, he moved back to California and has been enjoying a low-key lifestyle. The girls explain how they found him and they tell him about the photo of the Lamborghini. We learn that Jesse got a camera as payment for piano lessons and then took photos to sell to Martin for easy cash. The Lambo is the car of a guy he housekeeps for and figured it would be good for photo opportunities. Too bad it led him to being discovered. I'm actually really happy how Nancy managed to solve this case. 
I don't feel like too many coincidences were involved and Bess and Nancy's hard work really nailed this case. The girls promised to keep Jesse's disappearance a secret. However, as they go to leave, the lights of cameras flash and explode in their faces. The media has arrived. Turns out Martin must have called the media and told them what Nancy was doing. Anything to get a quick buck, I suppose, right, Martin? Oh, poor Jesse. Nancy tries to call Winslow to tell him that they've found Jesse, but with no answer, they head back to LA and promise to come back to Jesse and help him deal with the media shortly. Winslow is surprised and congratulates Nancy on a job well done. They agree to keep the story on the lowdown while Jesse settles back into life in the limelight or, you know, of being discovered again, rather. Nancy notices some weird expressions that Winslow does, but thinks nothing of it. There it is. Winslow is behind it. Why else would Nancy notice these little things? Renee freaks out when she hears about Jesse being all dramatic, like, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Dan is happy to hear Jesse is alive and well and hands the girls his number to give to Jesse if he wants to catch up. They drive back to Jesse's house and Bess complains about being hungry again. When they arrive, it's a media circus. Jesse comes out and tells the media, okay, all right, I'll tell you everything you need to know. Then a shot rings out from the crowd and Jesse crumbles to the ground. He has been shot. The girls rush to Jesse and help bring him inside. He's only been shot in the arm. Phew. Nancy does first aid, but can't get the bullet out. Oh, that is so icky. I'm good with dealing with my own injuries, but dealing with someone else's gives me the heebie-jeebies. Bess is panicking that they are trapped inside with a killer outside, and Nancy keeps her cool and calms her down. I wish I could keep my cool in situations like this. I'd probably be more of a Bess and start freaking out. What about you, detective? What would you be like in this situation? Who's willing to bet that the shooter is Winslow, a.k.a. the person who I think is Tommy? Is anyone else with me on this theory? I feel like I really, really solved this case. Like, it, yes, it makes sense that Renee and Vint could be, you know, in it for Jesse's money because they, like, loved each other and wanted to be together, but Jesse was in the way and Jesse was going to leave her money. But, like, it's too obvious for a Nancy Drew book. The police arrive and take Jesse away to get medical help. Nancy gives Jesse her address and tells her that she can stay with them at the hotel once he gets out. Oh, that's very nice of you, Nancy. The cops question Nancy and Nancy suggests Renee and Vint as suspects. They question whether Tommy could still be alive, but neither of them have an idea. Or any idea, rather. Back at the hotel, Bess actually isn't hungry, but heartbroken. She's so sad that the once happy Jesse was like a robot inside. Nancy feels horrible for taking on the case and exposing Jesse's secret. If it wasn't for her sticking her nose in, none of this would have happened. It's okay, Nancy. At the end of the day, you're going to put a baddie behind bars and you'll feel super proud and no more won't have any more guilt. <laughs> Nancy calls Ned and has a big cry on the phone about the case and how bad she feels. Nancy cries to Ned, but not her friends, I've noticed. I guess she doesn't want to feel vulnerable in front of her friends because she needs to stay strong for them. Whereas Ned protects Nancy and she doesn't feel the need to feel super strong in front of him. I don't know. I'm just throwing theories out here. The next morning, Jesse calls Nancy. The cops want to arrest him for Tommy's murder. The cops received a package with a bloody t-shirt and a note that read... This shirt once belonged to Tommy Road, who was viciously murdered by Jesse Slade. I saw it happen and found the body. Slade's been hiding out all this time, but he just can't get away from justice. The cops run at labs, and yes, the blood is Tommy's, and it's three years old. Okay, this doesn't prove Jesse did anything. Just a bloody t-shirt that Tommy could have made after he went missing. 
And also it was dark. Like how could a person see a Jesse? And like why wouldn't you come forward like earlier? Like it, it just makes no sense. Nancy gets all smarty pants on the cops and says, well, I know for a fact Tommy is alive, so you can't arrest him for murder if he's not dead. They ask her to prove it and she tells them that she's gathering evidence and leaves to find Jesse. Nancy explains her theory to Jesse and George at a coffee shop. She says to them, can you imagine anyone who'd watch the fight, wade into the water to retrieve a body, take a bloody t-shirt off a corpse, then decide to just leave the body in the water and then send a t-shirt three years later? It's just not believable. It doesn't make any sense. I don't think there was ever a dead body. I think Tommy Rhodes survived the fall, kept his shirt and only came forward now that Jesse's back. Well, I think that's exactly what the case is. Now it's time to convince Winslow and Renee and all three head back to the TVR studio. They walk into Winslow's office and he sees Jesse and is surprised, saying, I thought you were, but then stops. How would Winslow know about that unless he was the one that sent the T-shirt? Jesse then thinks that Winslow looks familiar. Then Nancy wonders if Mr. Winslow could be Tommy. Finally, Nancy. Winslow wants to know why he wasn't arrested and Nancy tells him the theory about Tommy still being alive and Winslow is mad. How dare you hurt you? She's making TVR look bad. She's making it look like a laughing stock. And when he's yelling, he all of a sudden has a British accent. Yes, Winslow is Tommy Rhodes. I was right. Yay, detective, I finally figured out the formula of these books. I finally solved a case in like the first couple of pages. Oh my goodness, I'm so proud that I can solve a case meant for 12-year-olds. Woohoo, go me. <laughs> Winslow goes manical and Jesse and Winslow fight about the events that occurred on the cliff. And like always, during a tense part of the book, we find out what happened. After Tommy was pushed off the cliff, he saw Jesse come down after him and then run off. Tommy kept his bloody t-shirt and figured that Jesse report that he died, but he didn't. Early in the week, he had discovered that Jesse had discovered the embezzlement and transferred it all to another bank account. And then he waited till his hair and beard grew back and started a new life, including starting a record production company and a TV rock. This I figured as much. I wonder what he thought would have happened with Jesse though. All this time has he been wondering? Regardless, he doesn't want anyone getting in the way of his plans and his money. It's always money. Tommy runs out and they follow him. He leads them into a preview booth and locks them in and then he plays that ear-splitting sound that Nancy had to suffer through in her car earlier on in the book with George, Jesse and Nancy stuck inside the booth. The noise has caused George to collapse and Nancy isn't far behind. Now I guess this is where the scene on the cover comes in. The room is soundproof so no one else will save them. So Nancy with her last ounce of effort picks up a guitar and smashes the glass and then manages to switch off the terrible sound. They are safe, but where is Tommy? They must catch him. I'm surprised after being noise tortured, Nancy's smart enough to come up with a plan to catch Tommy using Bess's bait. Bess is going to get a chance to use her acting abilities, I guess, and will nail this. And that she does. Winslow is giving a press conference at the Wilshire Hotel, which was where Pretty Woman was set as well as the TV show Entourage and has housed many guests such as Barack Obama, Elton John and even the Dalai Lama. Winslow, aka Tommy, is talking about the return of Jesse. In the middle of the press conference, Bess runs in screaming that he's dead and that she went looking for him and found him in the studios at TVR in a sound booth dead on the ground. 
This causes Winslow, aka Tommy, to end the press conference where he turns around and is tackled by Nancy and Jesse in front of all the reporters. Jesse has this amazing line and says, don't you know it'd take more than a little rock and roll to kill me? (laughs) I love it. And there we have it. Nancy has solved another case and caught the bad guy. The next day, the whole crew, including Dan, Jesse, Renee, and Vint are hanging out at Nancy's hotel. Jesse is looking great and back to his normal self. We learn that Tommy, aka Winslow, confessed to everything, even admitting that he told TVR staff that she was a spy from a competing channel, hence why everyone was so mean to her and gave her no information. He rigged the car up with the sound and was the one that organized the package to distract her. Tommy will be charged with embezzlement and attempted murder for the preview room incident. As for TVR, Tommy's second in command is taking over and Dan gets to be head VJ. Renee feels awful for the way she treated Nancy and apologizes. She also apologizes to Jesse for hooking up with Vint, but he's cool with it. Oh, Jesse, what a nice guy. The best part, though, is after nailing that interview with Carla, TV Rock wants to offer Nancy a job as a VJ and Nancy declines. She loves being a detective. Aww. She also declines staying in LA for an all-expenses-paid vacation. She wants to go home and have an ordinary, uncomplicated life. Yeah, Nancy, you're not going to live an uncomplicated life because in the next book, we're going to have more drama and mystery in intrigue when you have another mystery to solve. And last of all, Jesse promises to write a song about this incident and will dedicate it to Bess. I bet he doesn't, and I bet we never hear of it again. (laughs) This book was amazing. I absolutely loved it, Uh, and I loved the glitz and glamour, and I also think I loved it because I knew from the start who it was, like who was responsible. However, I would have never guessed that Jesse was hiding away. That put a nice spin on things. Five out of five stars. I'd love to know what you think, Detective. Let me know on Instagram at Nancy Drew Podcast. In this book, we had three near-death experiences, two of sound torture and almost falling off a cliff, bringing the total to 84 and still no kisses. What is this? I swear, like I said in the last episode, I swear there have been like so many more kisses, but there hasn't been any in ages. So our running total is Nancy, Ned and Bess at four with George on three. And that is the end of the this episode, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please give it five stars on iTunes because it helps other people find the podcast. And I will see you in two weeks time for the next episode, Case 35 Bad Medicine. Bye, detective.